0: Good morning. It is a great morning. Um, before we get started, I do want to just take the opportunity to, to pray for what's happening in our world today. As you guys know, there's a lot happening in Israel. We have family that are there. Uh, Gary Morris' family is in uh, Raleigh and Jesse, live in Israel. Actually, they're separated right now. Raleigh was in the States when all this took place. He's trying to get back to his family Um, But there is um, some evil atrocities that are taking place um, far more than we probably can imagine um, with people being uh, killed, tortured, raped, women, children, elderly. It's indiscriminate. Um, Innocent lives are being taken. So we need to pray for wisdom as they navigate Uh, all that's going on in that country right now, but we need to pay attention because we believe here at Melanie Park that Israel is the epicenter of God's redemptive work in the world. And so whatever happens there affects all of us in some way. And this I do know with absolute certainty. Every day we live is one day closer to Christ's return. And when we see events like this happening in our world today, may it wake us up to the reality that he's coming soon. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, well, our hearts are broken because we uh, appreciate that. All humanity has been made in your image and treated with dignity and value in your eyes. And when that is taken away, it breaks our heart. So we pray for those families and uh, loved ones who have lost, who have people that are missing. Uh, When they see atrocities being displayed um, in public, it breaks our heart. It's not the way it's supposed to be. So we pray for them. We pray for governments that are involved with decisions that will be made in the coming days, the protection of lives that are still remaining. And Lord, ultimately, we look to you because we know that you made a promise to your people, Israel. And it is a promise that you will fulfill. And it's through that people that you will carry out the fulfillment of the redemption of this world. And so we watch closely. We look expectantly And we pray collectively, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Well, over the past few years, um, the staff has attended a church leaders' conference in Dallas at Watermark Church. And uh, every year we go, without exception, we are blown away by their over the top hospitality, just the fun environment that they create. And then just the way that they equip us for the work of ministry that we're all doing together. And this past year, we sat down after having done this together, and we, again, said, man, that was awesome. And then in the the same breath, we said, and we want to do this for our own people. (laughs) So that's how the Melanie Park Ministry Leader Conference first came to light. And so really, over the last several months, we have been planning, we have preparing to serve our ministry leaders with over-the-top hospitality. We want to create a fun environment for you to enjoy your time. And most importantly, we want to encourage you and equip you for the work of ministry that God's called you to do right here in our own church. So if you've signed up, thank you. Get ready. It's going to be good. If you haven't, I would encourage you to do so because we want to make sure everything is in place um, so that when you do come, you're you're encouraged, that you're equipped, and ultimately that you're just glad you came. And so uh, we look forward to that time together. That was the first thing I wanted to mention. The second thing is just I wanted to take the opportunity to express my appreciation for Jeff and his willingness to step in the Song of Solomon and do such a great job last week with our passage. So thank you, Jeff. And number one, I hope you were there. And if you weren't, I hope you took time to listen. Because the points Jeff made last week are critical to our passage this morning. In fact, if the safety and security that Jeff spoke about last week is not present in your marriage, then the intimacy that is spoken about in our passage in this morning is simply not possible. Intimacy cannot flourish without safety and security. Just real simply, we will not give ourselves to one another if we do not feel safe. That's true in marriage. It's true in friendship. And the fact is, it's true in our relationship with Jesus as well. Complete surrender can only exist in an environment of absolute trust. Don't miss that complete surrender cannot exist unless it's in an environment of absolute trust. And that's what I believe we will see in our passage this morning. So before we open God's word, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do want to humble ourselves before you. This is your word. We are enlightened by your spirit And so I would just ask, Lord, that our hearts, our minds would be responsive to the work that you do through the truth of your word, by the power of your spirit, as you speak to the hearts of your people, ultimately to the praise and glory of your name. Lord, we come before you humbly. Would you teach us what it means to be fully and completely surrendered to you? We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, turn, if you would, to Song of Solomon. We'll pick up where Jeff left off last, so if you would, I'd love for you to read along with me in uh, chapter 4, verse 8. It says, come with me from Lebanon, my bride. May you come with me from Lebanon, journey down from the summit of Ammona, from the summit of Sanir and Hermon, from the dens of lions, from the mountains of leopards. You've made my heart beat faster, my sister, my bride. You've made my heart beat faster with a single glance of your eyes, with a single strand of your necklace. It's a little unusual about our passage this morning is that the husband becomes the primary speaker. Up until this point, we've heard mainly from the wife. And now he looks upon the beauty of his bride and, like we've seen him do so far in our Song of Solomon study, the husband begins the conversation with an invitation. You see, he doesn't assume a certain reaction, he doesn't demand a specific response. Instead, the husband lovingly invites his wife to be with him, he wants her to come close. He says, come with me. May you come with me from distant lands. Will you draw near to me and come in close? He's saying, leave the lands of of the foreigner. He's listing lands that are not his home, their home. It's not where she's from. He's saying, leave the lands of the foreigner and come to a place where you are known, where you are loved. Flee the dangers, and he lists lions and, and leopards, and come to a place where you are safe, and where you're secure. It's a place that, that's filled with loving adoration, and he says that with a, with a single glance of her eyes, his heart beats faster. Now, we've talked about how this song is a poem, and it's filled with figurative language, <laughs> But I need you to know this is not one of those places. I know that's true because I've experienced what he's talking about. I remember it just like it was yesterday when I first laid eyes on the girl who would be my bride. I didn't know her. I'd never met her. But when our eyes connected across a crowded room, my heart started racing like a freight train was inside my chest. And that wasn't the only time. It did it again the next week when we had our first dance. It did it again when I saw that bride walking down the aisle on my wedding day. And it still does it to this day. So... This is filled with figurative language, but this is not one of those times. There is a physiological response to loving, sincere affection. He says, you made my heart beat faster, my, my sister, my bride. Which probably at first glance sounds a little odd for us to hear him call his wife his sister, but in, a cult, in their cultural conduct, uh, context, this was a sincere term of, an, of affection. Because everything in the Israeli culture, as it is today, is built around family. These were the most treasured relationships in their life. So his wife wasn't just some friendly acquaintance. They were connected as deeply as family, I think he's saying essentially what Adam said when he first laid eyes on his bride. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, he says, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. We are so deeply connected, we cannot be separated from one another because the fact is, and we, we've all known this to be true, we, we can have an argument with, our, with a friend, and if that argument's unresolved and we just agree to disagree, we can, we can walk away. Just go find another friend. But you can't stop being family, for better or for worse. And the very same thing is true in marriage, but I, I think even in marriage it goes even deeper than that. Because the next verse in Genesis, verse 24, says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother, think family, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Like Jeff mentioned last week, the marriage relationship must become more important than family. Because the husband is bound to his wife with a covenant promise of love. That marriage relationship now becomes the priority relationship in his life. She is his bride. And that union forms an inseparable bond. Look at how he continues in verse 10. How beautiful is your love, my sister my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than all kinds of spices. Your your lips, my bride, drip honey. Honey and milk are under your tongue, and the fragrance of your garment is like the fragrance of Lebanon. A a garden locked is my sister, my bride. A, A rock garden locked, a spring sealed up. Your shoots are an Orchid, orchid, orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits, henna with nard plants, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all the trees of frankincense, myrrh and, and alloys, along with all the finest spices. You are a garden spring, a well of fresh water and streams flowing from Lebanon. Here is where the husband describes the flourishing of their marriage because of the security of their commitment. Now, please don't miss this. He's describing the flourishing of their marriage because of the security of their commitment. And he does so using the imagery of a garden. A place, as we've already said in the song so far, it's a place where their love comes to life. In verse 13, he lists flowers and and fragrances that are found in this place. And what's interesting is there actually is no place in the world where you will find all these flowers and trees put together. And so really, he's describing a virtual paradise. It's where their love comes to life. He looks at his wife, and he says that her lips drip honey. Honey and milk are under her tongue. And, and that phrase should actually sound familiar to you because it's a very repeated phrase all throughout the Old Testament when it's used to describe the promised land. It's a land filled with what? Milk and honey. It's a land filled with fertility. Milk from the goats who roam around the mountains, their honey from bees who make their hives down in the valleys. It's a phrase used to describe a land that is filled with the abundant goodness of God. And now the husband uses that same phrase, I believe capturing the same idea to describe his wife. They live In a paradise of love that is filled with the abundance of God's goodness. And something this precious, this important, a treasure like this must be protected and secure. Verse 12 says, it's a garden that is locked. It's a spring that is sealed up. In other words, it's a place that is, it's private. It's a place that's protected. It's a garden paradise that has everything that is needed to flourish. The the goodness of God is built within the boundaries of this design. There's a pure water supply that is protected from outside contamination. The ground is fertile. The, the, The fruit is abundant. All this goes to say is that God has created marriage in such a way that it is designed inherently to flourish. He created it with unlimited potential. But it is a relationship that has to be cultivated. A love that has to be protected and secure Which basically means, in layman's term, a meaningful marriage takes work. It's a garden. And like any garden, it needs to be tended. Leaving no room for the the root of bitterness or the disease of distrust. In fact, I want you to think of it this way. Let's just say that you had the privilege to have an incredible plot of land. Okay? Its soil was, is the richest the world has ever known. It's, it's filled with all kinds of nutrients and, and organic matter. It has everything it needs to, to flourish. It has a pure water supply, a, a spring that always provides water. It's perfect place to plant a garden, right? And so let's say you do. You take seeds and you plant a garden of fruit that you want to see grow and flourish. But then... You walk away. And let's say you return in a few months. What are you going to find? You're going to find a mess. You're going to find a mess. Because right alongside those seeds that you planted are the opportunistic weeds and vines that if not taken care of will eventually choke out the fruit that you intended to grow. And that's what happens when you plant seeds of love And you begin on the day of your wedding. By God's design, that land is fertile. It has everything you need to flourish. But a meaningful marriage takes work. It's a garden that has to be tended. And if you get distracted by other demands, whether that's career or family or ministry or money these weeds will eventually take root and if not tended to they will choke out the fruit of the relationship that you got into that marriage to begin with for the marriage relationship is a garden of love that must be protected it's an intimacy that has to be cultivated and when we do What the the song is doing is it's revealing the abundance of beauty built within the boundaries of God's design. Look at how he continues in verse 16. This is now the wife speaking, and she says, Awake, O north wind, and come, wind of the south. Make my garden breathe out fragrance. Let its spices be wafted abroad. May my beloved come into his garden and eat its choice fruits. I have taken chapter five verse one. I have come into my garden, says the husband. My sister, my bride. I have gathered my myrrh along with my balsam. I have eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk my wine and my milk. And then you have this audience of observers. It says, "Eat, friends. Drink and imbibe deeply, O lovers." Now, I want you to remember how the husband began this conversation. Remember, he didn't begin with a demand or some set of expectations. Instead, he started with what? An invitation, right? He allowed his wife to respond with willing acceptance, with no pressure or manipulation, and she does. Up until this point, she's been careful. She said it at least twice as warning, "Do not awaken love until it's time." But this is the place in time where their love comes alive. She says, "Awake. North wind blow. Awake, O wind of the south. Let the, the garden come alive with love." You see, she's giving herself completely to her husband, and her husband is doing the same. This is a moment of shared surrender and mutual delight. They linger in the garden of love without being in a hurry to leave. This is a moment where they experience the fruitful paradise of affection, everything God created it to be. It's a place of loving intimacy that comes from hearts of mutual surrender. There's not even a hint of reservation. There's there's no evidence of insecurity. They give themselves fully to one another. As it says earlier in the song, I, my beloveds, And my beloved is mine. But I want you to again remember what I said in the beginning. Complete surrender. Complete surrender can only exist in an environment of absolute trust. Intimacy, like we see in the song, cannot flourish without a deep sense of safety and security. And... and As I said in the beginning, that not only applies to the marriage relationship, it applies to other relationships as well, including our relationship with Jesus. And so I just want us to unpack what that means. Because like we see with the husband in the song, we also see Jesus inviting us into a life-giving relationship with him but like the husband, he wants us to willfully make that choice. He doesn't demand. He doesn't force a decision. He simply creates a safe place where you and I can be known and loved. You see, this is actually what happened in the Garden of Eden, which Ironically, or not so ironically, is very much like what the husband describes in our song. It was a place that God created for humanity to flourish. They were created in his image and given everything they needed to thrive, both in their relationships with one another, as well as their relationship with God, But instead of relying on God to to grow in this gift of love, they decided to figure it out on their own. They willfully chose to pursue life outside the boundaries of God's design. See, they thought, and we see this from Scripture, they thought they were actually choosing something better than what God had to offer. But in reality, they were forfeiting a blessing only God could provide. And like our first parents, we too were created for a life-giving relationship with God. We too were made in His image and designed to flourish in His goodness. But the curse of sin took that blessing away. It it separates us from the life we were designed to live. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, sent his son to restore what sin had destroyed. Jesus fully surrendered his life on the cross in order to rescue us from our sinful rebellion, to, to, revi- to invite us back into that life-giving relationship that we were ultimately created for. Like the husband, he, he calls us out of the danger of sin's destruction, away from foreign lands where we simply do not belong. That is not our home. He's calling us back to a place where we can be fully known and fully loved. He wants us to walk in an intimate relationship with him, a place of complete surrender because of a heart of absolute trust. See, that's part of the beauty of what we will see with baptism this morning. You'll notice that no person is going to get up there and baptize themselves, right? They don't. Instead, what happens? They, they make a confession of faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. And then they sub- symbolically surrender themselves and their lives to Him. They are fully immersed in His love, fully immersed in His forgiveness, fully immersed in His grace. And then they are raised to a new life in Christ. Old things have gone. Behold, new things have come. They bear an abundance of good fruit through the life-giving relationship with God. But I need to remind us That although baptism is a special occasion and it represents and symbolizes so much of the truth of the gospel, that's why we are so moved by it no matter how many times we see it. I need to remind all of us that this is not a decision that we make just once. That this is actually a daily decision. The reason we know that's true is because what Jesus says In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he tells us, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, don't miss it, daily, daily, and follow me. We've been talking in our small group that that life of intimacy that our heart longs for with God requires us to walk down a pathway of repentance. And here's why. Because we are always uncovering new layers of unsurrendered self. So we die daily. Surrendering our lives to him. Reaffirming our absolute trust in him. We grow in intimacy because of the security of his promise. We know that we are powerless over our addictions, over our brokenness, over our sinful patterns, but we serve a Savior who has the power to set us free. And so we die daily in surrender to him. And so if you hear nothing else this morning, would you please hear me clearly tell you how much Jesus loves you? And he's inviting you to flourish in a life-giving relationship with him, a life of complete surrender because of a heart of absolute trust. And so before we close this morning, I just want to give us a time of silence to come before the Lord and to hear that invitation. And for some of you, you may not be in a relationship with Jesus at all, and we are so glad you're here because it's not an accident that these words have been spoken to remind you of how much God has loved you, how much Christ has done for you, and he's inviting you to flourish in everything he's created you to be. But even for those of us who have put our faith and trust in Christ, he's still inviting us to go deeper into that relationship that you and I were created for so that we can uncover those layers of unsurrendered self and give ourselves completely and fully to him. So maybe it just take time to listen, to see if there would be some places that he would want you to go for that to happen. And then as Brian comes forward during the song, I would like for those who are being baptized, ladies to my left and gentlemen to my right, and then we'll celebrate together. But first, let's have a moment of silence. Father, we hear you. You speak through your word, through the power of your spirit, to the hearts of all people, and you invite us. You invite us to live in a life-giving relationship that we were all created for. It has everything that is needed to flourish. You tell us you've given us everything for life and for godliness. And so, Lord, we, we hear you. And we come to you in faith and trust in you. Knowing that each and every day we continually come to a place where we die to ourselves so that we can live more fully and completely for you. And I pray that today is another one of those days. And Father, I do pray for anyone here this morning who has not put their faith and trust in you, that they would hear you. That they would hear the invitation to live in the create the the relationship with you that they were created for, to find forgiveness and grace. And I pray that as all of us observe baptisms this morning, that we would see the beauty of your gospel being put on display. As these people have come before you, having trusted in you, and we can see how they will be immersed in your love and your grace and your forgiveness, that they have committed themselves to walk a new life. Old things have gone and behold, new things have come and they will flourish in your presence forever. Father, thank you for that gift. And we pray these things in your name.